Hey folks, it's John from AS for Alcoholic again. Today's conversation is with Tiffany. It was really great to talk with her. I found her on Instagram at Only Forward Progress. I highly suggest you go check it out. We talked about getting sober, recovery, spirituality, physical fitness, the importance of doing your squats every day, and running. Um, it was so great. Her energy, her excitement. It was all really inspiring and motivating. I hope you enjoy the conversation with Tiffany. My first question I always like to ask people, and the thing that really interests me is, where did you first come in contact with alcohol? How early, not just maybe even your first imbibing, but was it something that you grew up with as a kid? Yeah, you know, I've, I thought about that a lot because I grew up, um, you know, my, my mom always had like that one bottle of Grand Marnier, like on the hutch in the dining room that like was more of like a decoration piece than anything else, you know, like it was just that thing that we all knew was there. So um, I really don't remember alcohol much. I still to this day, I'm, I'm 36 years old. I can count on one hand the amount of times I've seen my father drink alcohol, which was three times. So, you know, it just was not, it wasn't a part of our life. It wasn't a part of our family. I hadn't really been exposed to many problems with it. Um, but my first real exposure um, was, I was over just a, a friend's house in like, I want to say like seventh grade probably. And um, her brothers were older. They were all in high school and they were like juniors and seniors in high school and they were drinking Budweiser. Mm -hmm. um, so I had my first beer was a... <laughs> Budweiser. <laughs> like it's so disappointing. Um, <laughs> but so that was how it all started was, you know, just hanging out with those kids who had older brothers and sisters. And then, you know, you get, go to parties and it's just mm -hmm. more prevalent, mm -hmm. you know, just your very typical suburb high school experience, you know? <laughs> like, so no, yeah. no real drama in high school around alcohol? No, were there any uh, heavy ramifications or did you come in con was there any legal ramifications yeah I mean my drinking I you know it, it really had a lot of like ebbs and flows like kind of, you know I say it was tidal <laughs> um so it, it there were times it would ramp up real high and then I'd be drinking a ton and like my friends and I we used to split handles of Captain Morgan's and, you know, you just, you've got your two liter of Coke, you've got your handle of captains and you're just slugging them back, you know, like, so yeah, there was a lot of trouble. There were nights I was dropped off in my driveway. Mm. Um, you know, it really, the worst, the worst high school experience I can honestly remember was my 18th birthday. Um, my best friend and I, our birthdays are like three days apart. We got a, um, a liter of pop off a hundred proof vodka. <laughs> we hiked to the top of this mountain uh, that overlooked this private school in our town. I grew up in Connecticut and um, we, we just sat up there hanging out, you know, and drank the whole thing and didn't think anything of it while we're at the top of this mountain. But as we started to hike down, we realized like we were drunk and we, we could barely make it down. We fell 12, 13, 14 times. It was just, it was atrocious. I was too sick to drive by the time I got down to the car. I was vomiting. He was too sick to drive. We had, you know, at least the smarts at that point to call for help. So we called some friends and I had a manual transmission so no one could drive my car. 
So we had to wait for my friend's sister to get out of work, you know, <laughs> so she could mm -hmm. come. Anyway, they, they dropped me off in my driveway. And this is, this is, I think, when I knew that my relationship with, with alcohol was different, um, was, was this day. And I got dropped off in my driveway. And my friend was smart enough to leave me, like, with the seatbelt, like, propped out the car door with the door open just in case I threw up. Um, called my house. She thought it was my sister that answered, but it was my mother. And she's like, you know, oh, like, Tiffany's out in the driveway. Like, she's super drunk. Don't worry, she didn't drive. Like, she's home. But, like, can you come get her before your mom finds her, you know? Meanwhile, my mother's on the phone. <laughs> so my mom comes out, helps me into the house, puts me to bed on the bathroom floor, pillow, blanket, glass of water, Advil, like, we'll deal with this tomorrow, you know, and I'll never forget, she wakes me up by, you know, kicking my feet, and she's like, how you feel? You good? You're going to school today. Like, I was, oh, I was dead hungover, dead hungover, and my punishment was having to go to school. It's right. horrible. So, but yeah, that's when I, that's when I realized I was like, I'm different than everyone else. I don't, I don't, I don't stop, you know, like mm -hmm. it, it's, it, I, I drink until I physically am just not able to anymore. Yeah. And, uh, and that was, yeah, that was 18. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That I, I wish so much that I would have had more of that epiphany or at least it just, I, I'm. I don't think a lot of people, well, I know myself, I, I did it for like 17 years. I drank for like 17 years before it finally said, oh, there's a problem here. It was always yeah. seen as a, um, this was just something to overcome. This is just a challenge. This is just the way life is. I was, I accepted it for what it was and I accepted all the pain and all the suffering. Um, so you say you're 36 now and you were 18 then. How long did you drink before, um, before you got sober? Yeah, so my sobriety date is July 15th, 2018, so okay. I'm 31 months. Okay, and, uh, congratulations. You know, thank you. Yeah, it's been quite the journey. Um, you know, for me, I I had, let's see, what when was it? It was like back in like 2013, mm -hmm. I was in a relationship, and a lot of stuff had happened. I had been through some, some major life transitions, and I moved um i used to I, i'm a licensed captain so i used to sail a lot and so i took a contract on a boat and i was sailing from maine to the caribbean and i was just going from a very chaotic lifestyle where there was a lot of partying and like when you're in the caribbean uh, have you ever been i have not no not yet they, ha they have like full moon parties that are just i mean it's just whatever you want is available you know so it's just a right. very active nightlife um, at the time, I wasn't operating as a captain, so I had a lot more freedom. I was, I was just a, a crew member, so I, I, you know, I could go to shore at night. And that's when things starting to like really ramp up was like getting into that kind of like scene, I guess. And you know, when you're at a marina or you're, you know, near boat people, there's always rum, there's always <laughs> vodka, you know. Mm -hmm. So the stereotype is real with the rum, you know, especially in the Caribbean, there's these drinks called painkillers and I'm familiar. Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, you know, it, it, it's just, anyway, so I had just transitioned out of all of that. And I was, tr I was like, okay, like back in Baltimore, like I'm going to finally get my stuff together. And, um, you know, and 
I ended up in this relationship. I landed a really good job and I had an apartment and I was feeling pretty good. Like life was on the up and up, but I was still drinking a lot. I was drinking every day. Mm-hmm. I would get those big bottles of wine or to be like the 750s, you know, <laughs> like, and they would last a day, you know, and it was, you know, I didn't think anything of it really at the time, but right. as that relationship was ending, I heard him on the phone with his mother. And this is, this was the, like, you know, the, oh shit moment, like for me was I heard him say to his mother, you know, part of the reason he was breaking up with me, he goes, you know, mom, Tiff's an alcoholic. And I was like, I was in the kitchen and he was like out on like the, like, it was one of those little apartments. You have like the sliding glass door and like the little concrete patio, you know, Mm -hmm. and the kitchen window was kind of adjacent to that. So I heard him say that. And I was like, he just called me an alcoholic. Like, like at first I was like super pissed, you know? And then I was like, all right, well, that's an honest conversation with his mother. Like, let me look in the mirror for a minute, you know? And, uh, and that hurt, you know, it really hurt, but I needed to hear it. I, I needed, you know, I had no witnesses to what I was doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do you think there's something to, um, now I don't know a lot of people who work. I don't know how you would say it work on boats, work with boats. Uh, when I lived in Seattle, uh, one of the we were one of the ports where you, you're probably familiar with that show Deadliest Catch. Yeah. So yep. these guys, when they would come to Seattle, they would come and party at a bar that was right next to mine, the one that I worked at. And I have never seen I mean, we're talking thousands of dollars in cash in their pockets like they would walk in with ten and twenty thousand dollars worth of cash in their pocket and. I wouldn't, if you were there on the right night, you never had to buy a drink. They were constantly buying rounds. And I wonder if there's something about working on a boat, whether it be with a small crew or on your own, that there's a level of isolation that some people don't always experience otherwise. I don't know if they're, I'm speculating here. No, I mean, there's, there's a couple real components to that. So, you know, as far as the isolation thing, I mean, think about it, especially in like in the fishing industry, uh, it's an industry I would, I would love to break into, but I'm a female and it's extremely tough. Um, you know, there's a couple, a couple lobster women up in Maine and there's, you know, there's a couple, but it's extremely tough to get into because the work is no joke. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you could die literally at any second if you're not careful on those things. Um, so there's a, there's an added risk of just life, you know, the, the, the boat could sink, you know, ideally it won't, but it, it could at any moment for any reason, because of what they sail through and what they're willing to go through. Um, you know, I'm being dramatic about it, but I'm trying to bring the point mm-hmm. home is like, you know, there's a, there's a lot of trauma that goes into it. Like I, um, I had a traumatic event happen to me. Um, it's something that I'm still healing from. And so it's kind of hard to talk about, but I was on a schooner off the coast of New Zealand. We got into a category three hurricane, barely made it through it. Um, we're, we're all, all 11 of us are lucky to be alive today. Um, I still have issues when storms come through, like, even though I'm like firm on solid ground today, you know, like it, if it's windy and the wind's howling and I, you know, I have a metal roof on my house. So when I get a good windstorm, my anxiety is like, you know, like, it's like, it's horrible. So anyway, that's a whole nother part of the story. But Mm -hmm. so, you know, you deal with factors and, and forces that are 
beyond under like a normal person's comprehension so when you get to shore and you want to let loose and you've got all this cash like the money thing is real they make a ton of money if they have a good season or they don't make anything you know so you have these ebbs of flow of the money and you just want to feel generous you just survived fishing season you know and like on the flip side of that you know in the in the charter industry which is what i was in we did like luxury vacations for for people um and you know, you, you get, like, we would get tipped out anywhere between, just tipped out, not even your base pay, anywhere between 1200 and three grand a week, wow. you know? So, like, yeah. you just got, like, cash coming in, and, and you're, like, you've got a, you know, a night off, one night, and, you know, you go out, you go hard. <clears throat> yeah, so, yeah. the truth to it. Okay. You know? So, and that, that's just interesting to me, because it's something that I, I, I just, I noticed with that particular I don't want to say just yeah. that profession, but in that, in that general area. Um, so yeah. 2013, you're in this relationship, you overhear yeah. this conversation and this is the first reckoning as far as yeah. the yeah, beginning of like a bottom. First, yeah, it was the, you know, I had a soft bottom <laughs> that I like to call it. I didn't hit, I didn't have like a major, like I didn't get arrested. I didn't get a DUI. I was very fortunate, but I had a lot of emotional hits, you know? So I was coming out of that relationship. This guy's telling his mom, I'm an alcoholic. And that's one of the reasons. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, but if I think back to my social circle and my failing buddies and, and how my life has been the last 10 years, like I really don't drink that much, you know, I was like, who the heck is he to compare, you know, like, what, what is his basis of comparison, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, I took, you know, I, I kind of, I'm a Gemini. So I, one side of me heard it and the other side of me was like, nah, you know? So then I get into another relationship and this guy had just been through some personal traumas and his wife had commit suicide. And I, and I realized now I was a rebound, but during that time we were both drinking really heavily together. I had a drinking buddy all of a sudden, you know, mm -hmm. like, I had that, I had, I, I didn't have to hide, you know, there was this guy coming home wanting to have scotch and beers and bourbon. And like, we got to try all these different bourbons, you know? Um, and I, I didn't have to hide anymore. So that, that kind of kept it going. And that relationship ended he ended up finding somebody else, um, and, you know, cheating and doing all that stuff, broke up with me in an email. That was fantastic. And then, um, and then I, I got into a relationship with an even bigger drinker um and he i didn't have to hide at all like if yeah. i wanted to get sloppy fall down like we could get sloppy fall down and what i didn't realize is as my drinking was progressing you know i was definitely more depressed um i would cry like so i would cry on my way home from work because i knew that i was going to stop at the liquor store because i knew i was out of wine and it was like being out of my body like I would pull into the parking lot and I'm like, don't you go in. And next thing you know, like doors opening, I'm going out. Like I'm going, I'm walking up to the counter with a box of wine and I'm like, don't fucking buy it, you know? And then I'm at the counter handed on my debit card. Like, thank you. And I'm walking outside and I'm like, don't you pour that first glass. And like, there I am like turning that little nozzle or pushing down whatever plunger in the wine. And then I'm like, don't you drink that. And it's like, I had no, you know, do you know, do you know I what do. I mean? I do. I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what yeah. you mean. It's like a total out of body experience. You're mm -hmm. like, I like, what do you like? What do I do right now? Um, 
it's nice to know that you know that. Well, <laughs> like I, yes, I, it's, I, I have done it with alcohol. I, and then after I got sober, I've done it with food. I still yes. go through, um, I'm still dealing with, you know, my own, um, eating disorders and body dysmorphia and all of that um, fun stuff, but I still do it with things. I'm, I'm a little bit better. So it's kind of like I'm hyper self-aware about these things. It was with drinking and it was with food, but I was also completely unable to, to change what I was doing. And, you know, when those thoughts, those thoughts, they'll start first thing in the morning, even if the action that I'm going to take for the alcohol or whatever the the substance is doesn't happen until five or six or even like 11 o'clock at night. I'm already planning a day, sometimes 12 hours in advance. I'm having little thoughts about where I'm going to be. And, you know, you talk about like pulling into the parking lot and I'm like, well, I do have, I I wonder if my favorite parking spot is open or just weird thoughts like that. Cause it's all about that little routine about where I'm going to be and how I'm going to get there. And then I'm going to get home and which corner of the counter is my box of wine going to be on or Right. So you're just, and, um, I think in a lot of ways, and we'll talk about this in a bit, but you know, when they, they have, when athletes go and they train for things, they mentally go and they do the thing over and over and over and over, whether it's swimming the laps or doing the, you know, the long jump or whatever it is. And I feel like there's a lot of that repetition, hyper self-awareness and, um, Mm -hmm. just that, that obsession, right? Like, of every step of the way it's not just drinking and getting drunk it's everything up to it it's the routine that's so exciting and so or can be so exciting or it can be very like you said you're crying the whole way through because Mm -hmm. i don't want (laughs) to be here anymore and i can't help it and i don't know how to get out yeah so yes yeah (laughs) i understand No, like you literally like saying yes. I feel I feel like so much lighter because somebody gets it. Like, because you know the food thing. I've I I've become a monster with sugar. I, I wake up thinking about carrot cake. Like, like I I put on in my first year of sobriety, I put on like twenty pounds, mm-hmm. like like that. And 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 I probably would have put on more if I wasn't running. Honestly, yeah, <laughs> like, right. I was I. Oh man, it was tough, but yeah. So, no, well, cool. So you, you get it. <laughs> I do very much so. Very, very much so. Um, so you're in this relationship with somebody who's even a bigger alcoholic or a bigger drunk than you are. So at least then I, I feel like sometimes too, we're able to justify that our behaviors are like, well, I'm not as bad as that person. Um, and yeah. And so from that relationship to the final drink what's that period like? yeah so i i what happened for me the the, the thing that changed me and, and i mean is it is it okay if i mention another podcast well you I can mean, say you can say whatever you'd like how you can speak however okay. you'd like yes okay so i i i literally had one of those moments where i was crying um I, the job that i had at the time gave me the opportunity to do a lot of driving and i love driving um so that's when i think if, mm-hmm. if I really need to think something out, I get in the car and I, for me, I live really close to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. So I'll drive the 30 minutes to Gettysburg and just drive through. And like, it's just my, like, you know, so, um, so anyway, so I'm driving and I'm thinking, and I'm like, you know, there's like, I, I had spent time up to this point, Googling, am I an alcoholic? What is an alcoholic? You know, like you start doing research, right? 
So I didn't know yet about podcasts. Like this was a whole new thing. This is like November, 2017 timeframe. Mm-hmm. And I like, so I got a new iPhone. I'm like, oh, what's this purple button, you know? And I'm like, oh, podcast. I'm like, oh shit, TED Talks. Like I've heard of that, you know? I'm like, oh shit. And then I found it's TED Talks where uh, basically the opposite of addiction is connection. He talks about Mm -hmm. uh, a different, a different approach to treatment. I think so I hear that and I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. So then I, I put into the podcast search thing and I put in alcoholic. So the next thing that popped up was after that amazing podcast was uh, Recovery Elevator and this guy, Paul Churchill. And I listened to this podcast and I, I don't remember what episode it was, but it was like the very beginning of, of the program. And, and it just was like firing on all cylinders. Me too. Holy shit. Me too. Like what? And then I, I binge listened, you know, I was, I was in the car for an eight hour day for my work. I, I was, I'm a, was at the time a property manager so I was just inspecting properties had headphones in listening to this like I I think I went through a hundred episodes in like probably a month just like nonstop, you know and all of a sudden I was like I found I found my home like I found this group of people that understand and it was I kept listening and I kept saying to the person I was with at the time like I want to try to get sober like this is something I really want to do and he was so unsupportive. It was atrocious. And um, a lot of that I realized now through my own recovery was a lot of his self-reflection shit. But got out of that relationship, bought my own house, managed to do that while still actively drinking in the worst depression of my entire life, at like the pit of despair of depression. This, this person I was with was not just an alcoholic. He was a, a narcissist sociopath. And it was just the abuse, the mental trauma that I went through with that guy was a whole nother level so when I got out of that I was I felt like big big like teeny weeny weeny you know like I was like I'm shit I'm shit and the only way to make myself not is to get sober and to live my life the way that I've always wanted to live it and I can't do that I can't go hiking every weekend I can't run half marathons I can't do a marathon I can't be a trail runner I can't be a triathlete like I can't be all these things if I'm drinking a gallon of wine a day, <laughs> I can't fucking do it. No. <clears throat> so I just, I dove in, I signed up, they have a Facebook group. I signed up for the Facebook group. I went all in and I was like, you know, I'm doing this. The group was amazing. Like that hug that I hear people get from, from AA and other 12 step programs. I got that kind of a hug there that just was like, I'm home. Like, this is my safe place, you know? Um, and I never, I had tried AA, but I, I never, mm-hmm. I, I'm not like, if I'm going to talk about my feelings, it's going to be private, you know, or I'm going to be so verbal about it that it's my choice to tell my story. Um, I really struggle in those like group scenarios. I really do. I have a sure. ton of anxiety, you know, and, and, and this is a place where I didn't have to be a stranger because I could just be that little spy looking at everyone's posts and reading all the comments, you know, mm-hmm. anyway. So, um, so I finally got sober. It was June of 2018 at the time. And I, and I had it all planned out, right? Like when I got to 30 days, I was going to be on a camping trip and I was going to like celebrate at the campground, like my first sober adventure. And unfortunately I got to day 30, I made it through day 30, 
Um, and I was driving around. I was in South Carolina, um, right outside of Charlotte, at this lake called Lake Norman. And there were just all these like marinas and all these little tiki bars everywhere and that whole boat vibe. And I felt left out and I, you know, that FOMO kicked in and I sat at a bar and I ordered a thing of chicken wings and cause I love wings and that goes great with an IPA. And, you know, I started drinking again and yeah. I drank the whole rest of that vacation. It was depressing. It was sad. I was by myself drinking by myself, supposed to be celebrating my you know, sobriety, going hiking. I want to get all these miles in, you know, I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm going to be active vacation. And I'm just sitting at the bar drinking again, you know? So I, I left, I came home from vacation early, unpacked my campsite, came home. I was like, kids go home and get sober again. Like you were fine when you were home. You didn't have all those temptations, go home and get sober. So that's what I did. I went home, I adopted a cat <laughs> and I got sober. Um, and it's just kind of stuck ever since, you know, I, I had that comparison of like a really awesome 30 days and I was really feeling good about myself. And then I drank and I was like, Ugh, yeah, sucks, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard that from other people too, who have, I wouldn't really, you know, going, it's not really, I wouldn't really call it a relapse is because I think in those beginning periods, it's more, it becomes about experimentation because you don't, you're new to it. You don't know what mm -hmm. works. And you're like, okay, 30 days. And then you go, well, I guess I'm fine. Maybe I am. Maybe a beer sounds good. And then you go, oh, that didn't work at all. That was awful. That ruined everything. And mm -hmm. so you step away from that, hopefully, thankfully, and you're able to say, yeah. you know what, that doesn't work. And I didn't fall back into it. And I wasn't able, some people do fall back into it, you know, and never are never able to come out of it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's I feel like it's more experimentation at that point than it is um, uh, relapse. And not that I would suggest anyone experiment. Um, no, <laughs> I'm I'm you know, no. I'm always grateful to hear about somebody else's not, you know, at their expense necessarily. But um, I think yeah. that I, as much as I know, as an alcoholic, it is difficult for me to learn the easy way. <laughs> Listening mm -hmm. to other people has been helpful. Um, yeah. Can you. Can you talk a little bit about your program of recovery? Because, you know, you mentioned AA didn't didn't work for you, didn't jibe with you. And I completely understand that because I was in it kicking and screaming for months until something just clicked with me and I just found the right person to talk to. But um, it's yeah. not for everybody. But can you talk a little bit about your program? Yeah, I mean, so when I got sober, I... I... I was, I was very sad. I was, yeah, you know, there were moments where I, I, I thought about like that, you know, just like taking my own life, you know, it's like, it's just, it, it, it sucks. This isn't happy. So when I got sober, I realized the reoccurring theme was like, I just wanted joy. Like, I just wanted everything in my life to be joyful. Like, I want to be happy. I want to feel emotions again, because I felt just so dead. I, I didn't, I didn't feel happy. I didn't, feel excited like I had like I just was very like gray every everything was a cloudy day you know mm -hmm. and so I I kind of thought about that and I was like what does that look like to me you know like what does bringing joy to my life look like and I was like well honestly like it would be great if I had less anxiety it'd be great if my anxiety would just like simmer down for a hot moment so I can focus you know 
And I, and I realized as I got sober, like I had some really hard pause symptoms for a little while, but I realized as I got sober and my anxiety level started to go down that like, I actually wasn't as like crazy as I thought I was. Like this was really a lot of alcohol induced like stressors, you know? Um, I'm sorry. I did forget your, your main question though. I'm well, to well bring it back my main question I, was uh, just my program. your program. Yeah. 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 So, so when I started figure, figuring that out, I was like, okay, okay, like my anxiety is coming down. Like, this is kind of cool. Like, what else is going to happen? So I started doing a lot of reading um, and learning about uh, pause symptoms, for example. It was really important for me to learn about that because I, you know, I had done such damage to my brain. And there were days when, like, I would be at work doing a simple task, like literally filing, you know, like stuffing envelopes. And I'm like, this is difficult like this is really strangely difficult today and basic cognitive memory was and I was like what the hell like I am taking crazy pills um so but as I really started to research and learn more like that was that was where my recovery really started to take a big change and it wasn't so much about just simply staying sober but my recovery and my program was you know how do I make myself better like how do I make myself the best version of myself so I can so you know, I started just continuously educating myself, being as active and open about my recovery as I could, um, mm -hmm. telling my story without any fear, like no anonymity, like you want to hear my story, like I'm an open book, you know, and through that process, I've helped, um, you know, quite a few people start their own recovery journey. And so my recovery, like I always say is that my recovery is helping people. You know, because like every time I'm more and more honest and open about it, like I had family, I've had family members reach out. I've had friends from high school that I haven't seen or talked to in 20 years reach out. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I've had I've had people that I failed with um, or ironically, one guy was just a contractor on a boat that I worked on. And he reached out to me like, hey, we met a couple of years ago. Remember, like, oh, I see you're on Facebook and you're talking about recovery. Like, I'm struggling. And I'm like what do you need? You know, like, it's mm -hmm. just my, it's really been cool letting my recovery be service work um, as much as I can. And, and that's, um, that's a big tenant of I probably every single program of recovery. I mean, in AA, you know, service is huge, but it seems to me to be the one thing that gets me out of that crazy alcoholic, you know, thoughts of, sadness and despair is like, oh, well, let me go help somebody else. And then I can always kind of like take myself out of here, which is where all of the, the craziness lives for me. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, like, but that can backfire, though, like you got to be careful with that. Because so because if you dive into your service work, right, so one of the most important things that I learned, and, and I'm not trying mm -hmm. to like pass judgment or anything, but one of the most important things that I learned was that you have to sit with your shit, you know, like you have to. So sure, like diving into that service work is great, but like you have to make sure that, because you can't help people if you're not good. Right. You know, it's kind of like, you know, like I find I'm more argumentative with people when I've got my own crap going on in my head whether I mean to be or not you know or I'm more judgy like mm -hmm. like my boyfriend would be like why are you on me about this and I'm like oh because I that's actually me feeling that way <laughs> you know like, mm -hmm. like so 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 that's my only little caution tale sure. with that is just make sure that you are good before you step out and help other people 100 percent I I I you know and I I I don't think that 
I think service in early recovery is good to keep to, it was good to keep me busy so that I didn't yeah. feel like I had time to hang out and think about drinking. But I, and I completely agree with you that sitting with your own shit to dealing with your own resentments and, and trying to um, understand what is making me, whether it's an anxious or angry or sad or depressed or yeah. even suicidal, you know, these, these thoughts do come from somewhere. And, you know, I found most of them come from my childhood and most of them come from my father. And so that's something that I continually daily deal with um, because, yeah. and not, not deal with in such a, not in an oppressive way. Right. But in yeah. a, I try to be constructive about it and go, Oh, that's something that I, I remember my dad used to say that to me. He doesn't say yeah, that anymore. I, I don't need to hear that anymore. I don't need to listen to that. I can let that one go, you know? So constructively dealing with it as well as, you know, not just being burdened with it all the time. Yeah. Um, so, so one thing I hear you say is you talk about going on hikes when you were drinking and, and I was never very active um, physically okay. in, in, in my active alcoholism. It wasn't until I got sober and only several years into it that I found running. So, okay. um, yeah. So, so, and also I'm, I'm 44 and which is not old, but also, um, you know, I'm not, I have never trained as an athlete. So you, you sound like you've been active for most of your life that you have. Yeah. And, and so, and so maybe finding a routine for, and you talked about that being one of the motivations for getting sober was wanting to run a half marathon, wanting to trail run, run wanting to run a marathon. Um, can you talk a little bit about how running has helped you in your recovery? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, you know, when I, when I first heard that word, like, you know, she's an alcoholic back in 2014, that's when I like started um, deciding that I was going to focus on my health because I, at the time it was like, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. Like I can do this and that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and as that developed, like I started running, uh, I started running shortly after that. So that was like November 13, like by the spring of 2014, I was running pretty regularly. Um, and it sucked. It hurt so bad at first. Like similar, I didn't get started until I was in my thirties as well. So, um, was I really, no, I was younger. I was in my late twenties then, but so, you know, it, it hurt and, and my lungs were like, what the hell are you doing? And I, I smoked until I was 27. So, you know, that yeah. didn't help. Um, and uh, so, you know, for me, it, it was something to do. It was something to fill that time space. Um, I'm, a, I'm a morning anxious person. So if I don't deal with my anxiety first thing in the morning, it carries on too far into my day. Um, and it really does quite derail me. So I really need to wake up and be active, like first thing, like, my boyfriend now thinks I'm nuts. Like I get up at 4.30 every day. Like I, <laughs> I'm just, that's what I do. Yeah. Um, but so running for me in recovery, like it, it, it gives me that time. I don't, I have high anxiety. So I don't sit still well. I don't meditate. Like I really try, like I do yoga and I really, really genuinely try to like turn this brain off, but it doesn't shut off. So for me, running is that, you know, the longer, the longest run I've ever been able to do has been a half marathon. My mm -hmm. goal was to do that by the time I was 35 years old and I did accomplish that goal. Um, 
and and through like the signing up for all the half marathons and like you know canceling it because I got scared you know like that whole process of training Mm -hmm. has taught me so much about how strong I really am um something that my recovery has definitely highlighted is that I can do hard things um you know I I did really well up until I did my half marathon running was it was a um what do you call it a a non-negotiable you know it was just this is you need to figure out how to fit into my day because my day is I'm driving an hour to go to this trail to do a long run and then I'm coming back home, you know, like you figure out how you meet up with me, you know? Um, And it stopped being like that. Um, And I'm, I'm coming out of it. I I've been really struggling with my, my my recovery in my second year. My hardest challenge has absolutely been food. Um, I've really been diving into sugar and my bad eating habits um, and, and I'm, I'm crawling out of that hole now. Um, and so I really feel like this spring is going to be awesome. It doesn't help that I live in Maryland and the weather here just sucks in the wintertime for months and months and months. <laughs> um, you know, but, you know, but, but running, if it wasn't for running, I probably wouldn't have made it through my first year. I, I really can honestly say that. Yeah. It gave me so much time and when I got my long runs up to where I could like run for an hour like no problem and you just got the beat and you know you know you've got that music and it's just right and you're just like oh man like I kind of don't want to stop but like no. it hurts now <laughs> <laughs> I have hurt myself because it was like well you've done eight why don't why are you going to stop just go 10 and then yeah. and then by the time I get home it's almost 11 miles and I'm like wiped out for the rest of the day like done like I'm just ready for bed and it's you know it's three in the Uh afternoon or whatever so yes I completely understand when you find that that flow and you know and I wonder if for me and one of the things that really like cracked something open in my head was the running is I found it was a place where I would have those moments of freedom of relief of release and I would just start crying like out of nowhere, something, sometimes maybe it was just, it would be a verse in a song or it would have been, you know, I just got the right pace and I would just start crying and, you know, and I would just keep going and I would be crying while I was running. And so that became something that I looked forward to and, you know, like, oh yes, that's what I need. And so over this last year with everything that has happened, not just there's been multiple things. Injuries have happened, you know, not just the pandemic. Um, you know, we had wildfires here and the smoke was really bad for a while. And then there were more injuries and, and other personal things that happened. And like you said, I fell out of it. Mm-hmm. I stopped, it was stopped being a non-negotiable because for yeah. 18 months, it was non-negotiable. And I went out there every single day, if only for two miles, that's what I did. And it just, it just disappeared. Well, I mean, also you hurt your back and you can't move, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's very difficult to make it right. So, so then, yeah. then, then I start looking for comfort and other things. And what, what, what has always comforted me in the past in my sobriety, sugar, you know, ah, Andy, that chocolate, big old hug sugar. <laughs> the big old hug. Yes. Yes. So um, I, 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 I think the thing that I'm learning and I wonder if you feel the same way is, I'm starting to look at my life as a little bit bigger and a little bit longer. And maybe these are just cycles and things are going to change. And like, it's okay that I gained 20 pounds over the last year because 
I know how to take it off because I did that before. So maybe I just need to restructure things and, you know, listen to my body. And maybe I need to, you know, there's all these other things that I need to do as far as training, right? Like, are my legs as strong as they can be? Are my knees as strong? What about my ankles? How's my flexibility? Yeah. How's my mobility? But I just want to run. And that was my problem too, that I wouldn't do any of the other stuff. I wouldn't lift a weight. I wouldn't stretch a leg. I would just go run. Cause I thought that was the only thing that was going to help me. And then I'm yeah. like, Oh shit, it's more than that. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah, it's the whole package. It's, it's the whole package. I do, you know, and, and I used to, I had a lot more injuries when I wasn't incorporating. I mean, even just like a 10 minute yoga routine after mm -hmm. a run, like just like that basic, like strength training, like, okay, there's something to it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, and, but you're right. You know, if, if life was happier and more manageable when I was leaning into the benefits of physical fitness versus the, the, the benefits I think I get from things like sugar and bread, mm -hmm. <laughs> and like, you know, and Cadbury cream eggs and oh, York yeah. peppermint patties, you mm -hmm. know, it's, it's just, uh, yeah. I get it though. And you know, with the whole food thing in recovery is I start when I first got into it, I think I single-handedly funded my local dairy queen. Like I, I, I Oreo blizzard, extra Oreos, like every yeah. night, every night. Yeah. And, and I, and I always justified it at first. Cause I was like, whatever, like, it's not a box of wine. It's not a beer. I'm not taking shots of vodka. Like I can eat ice cream every night because I drink a gallon of wine every night. Like I know yeah. I can do this, <laughs> um, you know, and it's not better and all that, but I was like, whatever, like I'm not drinking. And now I feel like, okay, I'm sneaking up on year three, one day at a time. And I'm like, you know, I'm seeing that now, like, okay, it's not just about satisfying that craving. Like, you have that whole, like, you had a stressful day. What's your reward? Like, I don't want my reward to be sitting down and eating, a, you know, a thing of ice cream. I want it to be like, you know what? Go home, put your running shoes on, go run through that sunset that's over there because it's beautiful. And yeah. You, can, you know? Yeah. That's, that's the, 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 the shift that I, I see happening slowly. And, like, the more... The, the days get longer and you know the snow's starting to melt and I'm like all right you know like I just cannot wait to get back outside right and I don't I don't have the the same um adverse weather issues you know living in northern California but um yeah. I completely understand I mean our, our our winters are nothing I'm not complaining in the slightest but <laughs> um but I do understand that that the weather can put a damper on on the running and being outside, regardless of how much gear you have. You know, my mother would always say, there's no bad weather, John, just bad clothes. And I'm like, mom, you don't understand when it's, when it's cold out there and I don't want to get out of bed. And you're like, ah, you know, maybe the sun will come out later this afternoon and I can go. And so, yeah, um, I just, yeah. I found it so integral, integral to, I'm going on five, six years now to, to mm -hmm. the recovery process. And so I feel so much better. And all those things that I was looking for with alcohol, wanting to feel like you said, joy, wanting to feel comfortable, wanting to feel relaxed, wanting to feel yeah. happy. I'm like, I'm finding them by running. By taking care of yourself. Yes. You're, yes. you're putting yourself first, right? Like 
you feel that because why? Because you're doing this work for you. And like kind of back to the service work thing, mm-hmm. like you have to be careful because it's like not just taking care of yourself with like the mental focus on like stressors and whatever, like like you're like eat right, you know, like sure, have cake, you know, like I'm not saying don't ever, you know, but like eat right and fuel your body, like eat mindfully and like mm-hmm. If you don't have time to go for a run, like take 30 minutes and do some stretches while you're watching TV, like do something for yourself. You know, there's a benefit to 20 push-ups and 20 squats every day, you know, like I saw this statistic. So I saw, and it scared the hell out of me. And it was that one of the hot 60% of of people over the age of 85, they are admitted to nursing homes are admitted because they cannot perform a half rep of a body weight squat. And what that means is they can't physically get off the toilet without help. So they have to go into these assisted living places because they can't get off the toilet. They can't get out of a chair. Like that, that statistic terrified me, you know? And I was like, I need to take care. I need, I'm 36. Like I need to take care of myself because I need this body to live this long life that recovery is giving me, you know? Like recovery is giving me the ability to, instead of being like, oh, I got to do this every day for the next 80 years to be like, sweet, I get to do this every day. You know, mm-hmm. like it's a total mind shift. I love it, man. You just gave me a new, uh, new perspective on getting my squats done. Uh, cause right? I hadn't thought about that. And I'm like, oh, it's really no, uh, 20, uh, you know, and I'm like, really need to you need to bring it up a little bit john you should probably be doing 30 or 40 and it's like i don't know and you know last year i did this whole thing for i did you know 100 push-ups every single day for a month and it was awesome and it was great yeah we did we did this whole um what do you like a social media challenge and um it felt really good it felt really really good and it was i was hyper focused on that and it became my non-negotiable for that month Later, I found out I was doing the squats all wrong, and that's when I hurt my back, and then I was out for two weeks, and then, you know, the the sky was covered in smoke, and so there was absolutely no activity for almost the entire month of August, but but you make a good point about, like, just doing those things because it's this this long life that we are being given to live in Mm -hmm. recovery, not because I have to do my push-ups, not because I should but because I get to, and I, that's a big shift too. I get to do this or I don't have to drink. I get to mm-hmm. be sober. Yeah. Um, I love it. I love it. I mean, it's, it's become so important to me. And even, even if I've fallen a little bit in the last year, it's going to happen. Right. I mean, things are going to be, there were lots of things that are beyond my control. Um, well, okay. 2020 was a whole different story. So like, give yourself a pat on the back. Right, and like, right. you, like you see, we're in 2021, babe. Like, right, you made right, <laughs> right, right. And I'm, I, I said that to somebody else or something. I was, I was lamenting, you know, right. And they were like, John, so you gained a little bit of weight in 2020, join the club. It's fine. You know? And I was like, Oh, okay. Like, because in my own head, I'm like, oh God, I've just done so horrible. And it's like, and you're right. Like we all made it and it was rough for everybody, regardless of where you were at and what you were dealing with. It was, it was extraordinarily trying for everybody. So, so yes, I appreciate that. And thank you. Um, Do you find, do you have a, um, is there a spiritual aspect to your program at all? Cause it's always been something that's been very vague for me. I didn't grow up 
um, with anything. And um, I've had to do my best to try and put it together myself. And so I'm always curious how other people come to find it. Yeah, so, you know, I, I struggle with it. Um, I don't, you know, part of the AA struggle for me was the whole God thing, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it, admitting to God and all. And I'm like, I just, I don't, I don't like believing. And, you know, I, I, I went to Catholic school. I went to a Sunday school, you know, I got confirmed. I, you know, I did all the stuff. Um, but, you know, I just, I have trouble feeling like there's just like this one end all be all opinion of something, you know, mm-hmm. I, I really like, I like that I can step outside and when I see a beautiful sunset or sunrise or scenery, I, I like, I'm like, yeah, like you feel the higher power, you know, like yes. you're just like, you're just like, this is like, this is way beyond anything that I can comprehend. So like, yes. I believe that there's just bigger stuff out there, but I don't really think it's really confined to one specific religion. And then I don't think that religion is wrong or anything like everyone, you know, believe in a tree. If you want to believe in a tree, you know, like, but it's, you know, it's just, for me, like one of the most spiritual moments I ever had in my recovery, I'll share with you is before I got sober, I was in San Juan Capistrano visiting my sister. She lives in SoCal. And, um, and we were at the mission there mm-hmm. and I was standing where the original mission, the church was that had collapsed and killed everyone inside. And just the, the being there and feeling like kind of like I think that's kind of why I'm attached to Gettysburg is there's like you know just like a lot of lives attached there it's a very spiritual place because there's spiritual stuff there you know like a lot of people died there's a lot of energy so like kind of like there you know I I felt it and then when I went into the chapel that they built after like the whole community came together and everything and, and built this new church and you just see like the love and the ornate detail that went into this place have you ever been there no well not not that i remember no it was a very long time ago oh god it's like the just i mean this gold like displays you know behind the altar just the amount of immaculate detail that went into this place and you know have your opinion about what missions did and all that whatever but it's just like i i stood in there and i started crying and i was with my sister and my brother and it was my brother's first time like in cali so we were trying to give him like a good experience you know and like he didn't he didn't really travel much and I was like trying to hide that I'm crying because my brother and sister don't know that like inside I'm dying because I'm still an alcoholic active in my addiction and I'm like really trying to find myself you know so at that mission let me see if I can find it in my purse I got Mm -hmm. this coin okay this is it's um uh mother perpetual health and it's just it literally I don't know if you can see it but it says perpetual help on it Mm mm-hmm and on the back of it, it has a little prayer. So this is my, this coin <laughs> that I got in San Juan Capistrano. This is my spirituality and my recovery. And this is as far as I take it with the whole God thing. But it says, oh, mother, perpetual health, sweetest Mary. I ask you with, hold on, you know, it's like that old language. Mm-hmm. I ask you with your divine grace to watch over me. Give me the strength to take it one day at a time. Beautiful. So I bought this. Yeah. And I was like this is this is so she's always with me in this little baggie in my purse and you you bought that when you were still drinking yeah 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 i was wow then i was that was that trip i was hiding alcohol from my sister i would pour myself a glass of wine chug it pour another glass and then go into a room like i 
it was such a hard trip to hide like and i and i was like i'm hiding it from my family what the hell that was a, that was a tough day <laughs> yeah yeah i we all we all did that weird little hiding thing i used to love to cook and be in the kitchen when nobody else was because that's where the booze was and i could always pour myself more without anybody knowing and that was kind of my little way of hiding because i'd be like well they don't understand that i need more wine they don't understand that i need to drink straight from the bottle while i'm at the stove while everybody else is in the other room and all these weird yeah. little just justifications yeah. for my you know alcoholic behavior um, yeah. no, I think that's beautiful. And I don't think that spirituality has to come from anywhere. I had a very difficult time with it as well. And, um, I've said this before on the podcast and I, I, I think it bears repeating for me, the thing that I learned through all of this is that like the word God, and when you see it, and that really rubs people the wrong way for a lot of different reasons. And I think many of them are wholly justified. And, you know, um, but what I found was that it's a metaphor because I can't explain the sunset, right? I can't, I can feel it and I can experience it. And so there's this metaphor. And, and when it was described to me like that, it took all of the negative power that the word had away. And I was like, oh, so it's just a placeholder. It's just a word that me and somebody else are using to have a conversation about something that neither of us fully understand. And I was like, oh, okay. I think I can get next to this. And you don't care what I pick and choose? Oh, okay. All right. And so, you know, for you to find this coin and to have this moment and, you know, to, to, to understand that something that that was, that was important, right. That, that oh, was, yeah. it's beautiful. It was, it was, it was literally like the most spiritual experience I have ever had in my life. And I have been in a ton of churches. My Nana's Roman Catholic. Like if it's a holiday and she's in town, you're going to church, you know, mm -hmm. if it's not a holiday and she's in town, you're going to church. It could be a Tuesday in the middle of March and you're going to church, you know? lover but it just it was out of all the places i've ever sat in that was the moment i needed you know cool i have i have a couple more questions and then i'll and i'll let you go i appreciate your time um is there anything that you are currently like what are you currently struggling with in your sobriety in your recovery what is your your struggle today yeah so you know one of the reasons that i really liked uh and got involved with my with the recovery group that i'm in uh, through recovery elevator is because we had a lot of um, sober travel meetups mm -hmm. and I, I really am missing that like sober travel interaction um they put together some really great trips and and i, I didn't get to participate in as many as I, I i wanted to and then COVID happened and then we couldn't have any um, I just miss people, you know, because I don't go to AA locally, it really mm -hmm. does limit my sobriety network. Um, but mm -hmm. through, through this recovery group, there are people in our area. So, um, you know, the biggest thing I'm struggling is, is the feeling of isolation and, and feeling like I'm missing out, you know, not like FOMO stuff, but like, I'm just, I'm, I'm missing people. Like, I just want to like eat pizza at a table with a group of people, you know, <laughs> like, like, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and because of that, my, my lean in since I was a little kid was always food. Um, so 
I really leaned into food really hard recently and I'm coming out of that. So I'm my my biggest struggle at the moment is re re kickstarting that drive to to be like, no, like you're not getting home and sitting on the couch with a bag of potato chips. You're getting home and you're putting your running shoes on and you're taking the dog for a walk because you're not in shape enough to run yet, but you need to get out there and move, you know? Um, and the yeah. weather just sucks, like I said. So yeah. I, I really just, I can't, I cannot wait for the days to get longer and I can start Amen. a routine. Yes. Yes. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I mean, I work, I work nights, so it's kind of shift. Like I would love, I went through a period, you said about uh, waking up at 4.30 in the morning. I would get up yeah, for a period after I quit one job and I had some time off and I had some money saved and I was getting up at 5.30 every morning and it uh -huh. felt good. It felt really yeah. good. And, you know, working nights, it's, it's, it, that is just not, it's, I'm, I can't get enough sleep. It's impossible. So, you know, waking up at, at eight 30 or nine is just the way that it is right now for the time being. But, um, right. but, uh, I, I lost my train of thought, but I just, I, the running and getting back into it. And, and I love the term, my non-negotiable and what will mm -hmm. be my non-negotiable as the days get extended and I have more time and I have more time in the morning and you know, what's yeah. going to be the non-negotiable. Um, yeah. it's, that's a yeah. really, it's a really beautiful way to put it. And I really like that. And I'm going to use that. Um, <laughs> and then I, my final question is just if there's, it's not really a question, but for anybody listening, who's having difficulty, what would be your one piece of advice for somebody who's, who, who's drinking and wants to quit or somebody who's in recovery and wants to drink? So, okay. So for someone who wants to quit, you know, and, and somebody who's in recovery and wants to drink, you know, just go back to the part about the joy, you know, like in recovery, I have like back up a little bit. I used to look at sober pages on Instagram and be like, bullshit. Like, you're not that happy. Like, you're such a fucking hypocrite. Like, you go home and kick your cat. You know, like, I used to like, I used to be like, there is no way that you just get sober and all of a sudden you're happy, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay, but you, but you do. You know, like, you get sober and you work on yourself and you look hard at yourself in the mirror and it only continues to get better. And, it, and if you really want all those things out of life that you roll through your head, I want the good job. I want to make more money. I want to live here. I want to do this. You can do that if you just take care of yourself, you know, like you can, everything is possible. You want to learn a language? Guess what? You have all this free time now that you're sober to learn a language. You want to mm -hmm. start running? Guess what? Just by not drinking, I've, I've, I've been able to get six hours back from every one of my days six hours is a lot of time you know yeah so you know my advice to anybody that's thinking about either a going back out or b quitting you know just remember the point of life why do you want to live what is your goal out of life and i guarantee you that alcohol is not going to help you get there in any way shape or form promise you that amen <laughs> yes 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 where um so and I, I well, I have more questions about about the running. I, honestly, uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. But you, so you did a half marathon. I did. Yeah. yeah You've I done. Did. And and how was it? Um. Okay. So talk about ugly trying at the finish line. I I like ran through like 
I'm like ugly crying. I was so proud of myself. Holy is it. It was the Baltimore Running Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, have, you ever been to the, have you ever been to Baltimore? I've never been there, no. So they have you run all through the city. Mm-hmm. And it's one of, it's funny as a sober person because no joke, there's people that run this and drink the entire time. And there's, because you're running through the city, so you're running through everyone's neighborhood, right? So people have like tables with like these, those little Dixie cups you get at like the dentist office, but they're mm-hmm. all like shots of beer. And like the local beer around here is National Bohemian Natty Bow. So like you can take shots of Natty Bow like as you're running. There's like Bloody Mary stands. Like it's that kind of a, a running festival. The whole city, there's drag queens in the street. It's phenomenal. So the energy is just like so up and everyone's participating and there's people like with signs like, sorry, you're not there yet. <laughs> you know? like, so the energy like just gets you pumped and like you run through some kind of sketchy areas, you're, you know, you run around, but it's, it's fine when you get to that finish line and it's like, cause it's such a big festival. There's just all these people like screaming your name. They don't even know who you are. The announcer says your name because he can see your bib. Mm-hmm. You go across that finish line, like all of a sudden you're not exhausted. Your your knees don't hurt. Your ankles don't hurt. Your shins aren't on fire. You're just like, I ugly cried. Like like you would have thought I just like solved you know world hunger. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> it was the best feeling in the world, and that's why I do it. Like I do, I do, I love trail running. Um, mm-hmm, I just started getting into that. Good, good. It, I just started getting into that when I started uh, training for the half marathon because I had the theory. I was like, okay, well, I can run six really hard miles on a side of a mountain. Like, I can do a half marathon on a flat street. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so it was really a great training tool. So I've done a couple 10Ks and I've done some half marathons. I haven't done anything longer than a half marathon yet. Mm-hmm. So it would be wonderful to sign up. We'll see what happens with the whole, you know, COVID world. But if the Baltimore Running Festival is doing it again this year, I would like to to kind of make that an end goal because it's towards the middle of October. So like yeah. there's plenty of time to train, you know, yeah. and hopefully, hopefully things open up by then, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. When I did my, my one and only um, half marathon in uh, 2019, I, I cannot believe now when I look back how, horribly unprepared I was and I still did it, you know? So I think yeah. that's something that I, I like to think about when I went out the other day, a couple of weeks ago and just did 10 miles because I wanted yeah. to. And yeah. then to think about how much pain I was in, in the first, well, I was having some issues with my foot. So like in the first three miles, I'm already like, oh no, there's pain already. Like I'm in trouble here and I got to do this for another 10 miles. And it was yeah. at night and it was in the desert. So like in sand in in Joshua tree. And I was talking to other people there and they're like, this is your first, this is real. This is not an easy one to do. And I was like, Oh no, what did I, what did I sign up for? Cause it wasn't <laughs> flat pavement. Um, but that's been a good tool for me to go, John, you were so unprepared and you just did it because you wanted to do it and you mm-hmm. made it happen. And so I'm constantly having to go back to those things. You know what else is? I just didn't know any better. And I think that yeah. was a really, and now I've, I'm like second guessing thing and I'm, I'm reading too much about running and about my form and worried about this and worried about that and not wanting to hurt myself. And, oh, how are my ankles doing? And how are my knees doing? And overthinking. Yeah, 
but fear fear of injury is a real thing but you also know that you can prevent in- injury by doing basic exercises on the side right so like right. that's where you go back your squats are important like you know like so like you know just a little gentle reminder yeah you know but the basic back to basics you know mm-hmm. no i i and think I- you've you've got me on the squats you you have convinced <laughs> me that it's like a non-negotiable now every day it's important good <laughs> yeah it is oh, it is have you ever um, heard of David Goggins? Oh yes, yes. Uh, he's a bit okay. of a um, he's a bit of a masochist, but yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> so I just uh, I don't I don't really have time to like read because I'm in school and I drive a lot. But so I got the um, the ebook. His can't hurt me. Have you heard, mm-hmm. have you read that or heard it? I haven't finished it. I'm partway through. He does it with the he has interviews with the guy who helped him write it. Is that correct? In the middle of it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's uh, so the e version of it is phenomenal because not mm-hmm. only do they narrate it, but then they've got like the commentary. I love it. I love it. Um, but he talks about coming to a race totally underprepared, and it's, it's a phenomenal story. So make sure mm-hmm. you get there. Yes. You'll be like, oh. oh wait. Oh, is that the um? I might have. Oh yeah. Well, there's been he a few. First, he like. It was when he did his first one. Something like that. Say that again. He like breaks his shins or something like that, wraps him up and runs or no, that's. Well, that was part of when he was in the military running on broken bones, but this is when he was um, trying to be a recruiter and he started getting Mm -hmm. into the the ultra running Mm -hmm. and he did his first ultra. That's the one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, but I I love that notion that, you know, you can be unprepared and, and, and be, and not know and be able to go further than. That's the thing, you know, your, your mind is so powerful. Your mm-hmm. mind, like if you tell yourself you can't do something, you're not going to do it. Yeah. Just like, but except for when it comes to sugar. If I tell myself I'm not going to eat sugar, I'm going to eat sugar. I don't know why that happens. <laughs> These do require some other tools that yes, we need. Yes, you are correct. <laughs> I agree. I agree. But, but you know, it's just like, if you, if you really want to do it, you just have to change your mindset that you can, and your, your mind can do so much more than your body thinks it can, truthfully. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I have, I've shut out, you know, I had a, another little epiphany where I was having some issues with, I don't know if it's shin splints or not, but I was going through and I was like, man, I'm trying to get back into this running thing. And I'm not even like a mile and a half in and everything is in so much pain. And I'm like, just move through it. You've moved through this before. And then somewhere around like mile five, it was gone. And I was like, yeah. oh shit, where did it, it's gone, but it hurts so bad. I was like, what was that? And so ever since that day, I'm always like, well, okay, so stop and just walk through this and then move through it yeah. and then go back to it and go back to it and go back to it because this is not the end. You're not going to feel this way forever. That's a hard thing to tell somebody when you're out there on the road and you know, you're eight miles down the road and you're like, everything's in pain. And you're like, well, you're not going to be in pain forever, but you're going to do 10 miles today. And, um, and lo and behold, I was able to do it. And so I love it. Yeah. The mind is a powerful thing. The mind is, you know, and, and as you're out there and while you're running and all those thoughts go through your head, you know, it's, it's okay to push yourself just like it's okay to say what like you know what i'm good like i I, i've hit i've hit my wall Mm -hmm. and done 
You yeah. know, you don't have to prove, like the beautiful thing about running is I feel like people put so much pressure on themselves to have a certain time, a certain pace, mm. to look a certain way, you know, like people drive by, you're all like, you know, how do I look, you know, and it's yeah. like, I, I, I'm sweating and I hurt. I'm not going to be pretty. My uh-huh. face turns bright red. You know, my chest turns bright red. I look like a freaking beast, you know, mm-hmm. like. There is nothing attractive about me running at all. And I'm okay with that. And you know what? I'm sweating and I smell and you don't want to be anywhere near me. <laughs> like running, running is just meant to be what you make out of it. No pressure. Like you're just out there, you're hitting the ground a couple of times over with your feet and you decide when you start and you decide when you stop and everything in between is just what it is. What kind yeah. of shoes do you wear? Ooh, good question. So I am in love. <laughs> with the pearl azumis um i love 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 they have this running shoe that they stopped making but i've been able to find it on amazon so i bought like three more pairs um and they're just like super super comfy but i just started getting into stockings i ran my half marathon in a stockings mm-hmm. um and i i liked it but there's some details with the toes where i feel like i can kind of catch a toenail you know mm-hmm. um but so I, I don't really care for ASICs. Um, my next purchase, though, I think I'm going to try those. Probably going to butcher it. Was it ho- Hoka? 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 Haka? I think it's Hoka. Hoka. That's the, yeah, one. That's the word I keep hearing. Yeah, I think I'm going to try those next. What about you? What do you like? I started with Merrill's. I did the trail, uh, trail glove four and I have a trail glove five and they worked amazing because they're super flat minimalist. So it really helped me learn how to land. Um, but But as I have been running further. And when I started to have issues with my ankles and, you know, working on my form, I realized I need a little more support. I've got some cheap generic, whatever. I don't even know what they are that I've been running in and they've been working fine. But I think that what I'm going to require in the future is something with some more support now that I have the, the landing down. Um, because mm-hmm. before I was doing the heel strike thing, that was my first uh, business. So now I'm more midfoot. And now that I've yeah, learned yeah. that, now the trail sh- the trail glove uh, Merrells are great for running through the woods and stuff that I go. I always wear those, but I think mm-hmm. the Hoka might be the next thing for me. Yeah, you know, I forgot about that. Last year, I bought a pair of trail running shoes mm-hmm. uh, from Merrell, and mm-hmm. then I didn't run. <laughs> so yeah. Maybe I'll right. finally break back. Yeah, they're <laughs> great. They, I love them. I love them. Big, wide toe box, so you don't, yeah. you know, there's plenty of room at the top. Um, Tiffany, thank you so much. This was awesome. I really appreciate your, uh, your openness to talk about sobriety. And, um, I hope, um, I hope you get to run very soon and get back into whatever it is that you're looking for. Um, if somebody wants to find you, where can they find you online? Yeah, sure. So, um, I have a little, I I just call it a journal. It's my recovery journal. It's on Instagram. Um, I'm only forward progress and, um, no hyphens or anything in between. So come on, find me. And, uh, you know, I, I just, it's just basically a journal. I just talk about my mood. So nothing big. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you again. I appreciate it. I appreciate you, John. Thank you so much. This was Mm -hmm. a lot of fun. I'm glad we did this. Me too. Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs>